Hello and welcome to episode 644 of the official EstablishTheRun.com podcast. My name is Adam Levitan. I'm one of the co-founders here at ETR and we are coming off of a leveling war kind of week. Yes, that's right. As more and more people understand how important ownership is in DFS tournaments, I mean, you can really see it in the Sims. Things like X guy at 30% in Y lineup is horrifically bad, but X guy at 15% owned in the same lineup is elite. So an example of leveling from the past week, we had Raheem Moster projected for around 30% ownership in large field. Wanted to go higher on his ownership, but there was so many awesome running back plays on DraftKings this past week. And typically in large field, things get smoothed out more due to people using optimizer constraints, et cetera. But Raheem Mostert came in at a whopping 49% owned in the slant. Now, I suspect, I bet a lot, that if we had projected Raheem Mostert ownership at 49%, he would have come in around 30%. And that's like the exact definition of a leveling war. On a smaller scale, I only made one tournament team on FanDuel this week, but it was a good one. Ended up finishing third in the $888 buy-in. I was just so tilted that I leveled myself at tight end. For those of you who don't play on FanDuel, Evan Ingram was just 5,500 over there. Basically the same price as far more dusty guys like Ertz, Schultz, Logan Thomas, Kyle Pitts, which was a big difference from DraftKings this past week where Evan Ingram was a thousand more than that other tight end group. So I thought for sure in small field where people play the best plays more often that Evan Ingram would be outrageously owned on FanDuel. Thought I would get Logan Thomas at a fraction of Evan Ingram's ownership. Turned out that in the 888 on FanDuel, Logan Thomas, who I played, was 15% and Evan Ingram was 27%. If I had known that before the slate, that everybody leveling leveling themselves and Ingram would only be 27%, I for sure would have played Ingram, you know, and finished second instead of third. Tons more examples like this. Just think it's important and it's something to be aware of as the evolution of DFS continues and more and more people are thinking about ownership in smart ways. One other somewhat related thing I did want to note is cross-site pricing and how that affects ownership. So what I mean is that when a guy is clearly a great play, is going to be massive chalk on one site, say DraftKings, but is overpriced on another, say FanDuel. An example this past week, going back to Raheem Mostert, 6400 on DraftKings was obviously at least you know $1,000 too cheap on DraftKings. But on FanDuel, Mostert was a massive 8500 For reference, that was 400 more than Dave Montgomery, 500 more than Josh Jacobs, 800 more than Travis Etienne, 900 more than Bijan Robinson. Second highest salary on the entire slate at running back was Raheem Mostert on FanDuel, only behind Christian McCaffrey. So even though everyone knows, everyone knew Raheem Mostert was an awesome play, Opto Bros won't get him as much at this 8,500 FanDuel tag. Hand builders likely choose to get their exposure to Mostert on DraftKings, where he's so much cheaper. And then what happens is that on FanDuel, Raheem Mostert ended up 26% in small field, whereas on DraftKings in small field, he was around 70% owned. Um, yeah, so just one more thing to think about there. I, I One more uh, note I wanted to make ahead of this week. I'm sure most people don't care at all. No one cares, but I'm going to be more focused on FanDuel cash this week than DraftKings cash 
I'm going to do the Sunday night review article on FanDuel Cash. There's no grand scheme or ulterior motives behind this. Honestly, just been feeling in a rut in DraftKings Cash and want to change it up and play a different style of game. And it's certainly much, much different style. Half PPR, no bonuses. Pricing is very different at certain spots. Um, I do prefer to play when the pricing is looser. And, you know, I'm not saying it's like drastically looser on FanDuel, but it is a little bit looser. And I think that suits me better. Maybe not everyone, you know, probably not everyone. But just for me, I prefer looser pricing the better. And yeah, I, I mean, the truth is that I have done well in high stakes head-to-heads this year. So my head-to-head ROI on DraftKings looks really good. 21.09% so far this season in terms of ROI in head-to-heads on DraftKings. However, however, I've only been winning about 50% of my head-to-heads. You know, my lifetime win rate in DraftKings head-to-heads is around 62%. And so I've made a ton of mistakes, just haven't felt comfortable very much. I've been fortunate to run well in high stakes, you know, to get a 21% return overall, but 50% win rate is just, you know, unacceptable. And yeah, so just my thinking. Oh, uh, one thing kind of related to this, it's just so hard to be overly data-driven on FanDuel because they don't provide us with CSVs of the contest. You know, it, it sucks for transparency, sucks for being able to find signs of collusion or cheating or whatever. But it does make it far more difficult to figure out what's quote unquote right when there's not as much data to analyze. And so I think that benefits me to some degree. A bit of a different example because, um, yeah, a different example because this is best ball. But to me, like the worse the tech, the worse the UX, the worse the UI, the better. Because I'm not playing for, you know, the love of the game or to have a smooth user experience on the app or whatever. I, I don't give a shit. I'm trying to win as much money as possible. Like DraftKings Best Ball in 2022, they didn't have an upload rankings function. You could not upload rankings to their best ball. You could set, you could preset rankings manually, but no upload. And so DraftKings Best Ball in 2022 was some of the best action I've gotten in years. You know, a ton of sharp people just didn't play on DraftKings because there was no rankings upload option. And the people that did play Best Ball on DraftKings were just drafting off of this horrific, horrific ADP. In 2023, this year, DraftKings adds rankings upload to their best ball product and the entire dynamic changes. Of course, it's way tougher. And to be clear, I'm not complaining. Like if I ran DraftKings, of course I'd add rankings upload. Of course I'd have CSVs of DFS contests. You know, that's good for business. Their job is not to ensure that people can make a living by grinding their cocks. It's our job to find good action. Okay, hope that all makes sense. Last thing on cash. Um, obviously, somehow, in some outrageous version of this sim, I am a pseudo-celebrity. So I am plenty used to people trolling me, talking shit to me, saying outrageously mean things. I honestly, does not bother me at all. I totally get it. Comes with the territory. But what I don't understand is the people who love to come to tell me how bad I play when I post a review article on Sunday night. Like you guys do realize that the whole point of this is we can play. Like I'm really not trying to be a hardo, but if this stuff is so clear to you before lock, if I'm so bad, if it's so easy 
And I don't mean so easy to tell me I'm bad after the slate. If it's so easy before the slate, then just play me for any amount that you'd like and you're making money. You know, don't come to the slate to tell me how bad I am after. Well, actually, actually, let me qualify that. Do come tell me how bad I am after the slate. That's totally cool. But only if you actually played, only if you actually want to play me. I mean, I'm posted every week, low stakes, high stakes, whatever. I'd at least respect the post slate analysis of how dusty I am. If you played, you know, the hindsight bro with absolutely no skin in the game is just embarrassing, you know, much more embarrassing than playing poorly like I have been this year. So yeah, you know, sorry. Had to get that off my chest. All right. Want to answer listener questions before I do. The NBA, it starts on Tuesday, the 24th, one week from today. I'm obviously biased, but I legit think it is nearly impossible to play NBA DFS without the product that Dink, Gallagher, Dank, Claff, Mark, Gary, the entire NBA team puts out because it's so, so, so hard to do projections for NBA well. It takes an entire team working around the clock to be ready for each slate. So if you're playing NBA DFS, Check out that product on the subscribe page. If you have a season-long or best ball hoops draft, draft kit is up. And if you plan to bet NBA props this year, please, please, please check that out, but read the FAQ first. All right, enough is enough. Let's get to everyone's favorite portion of the program, the listener questions. Producer Luke, hit the theme music. All right. Appreciate the questions from everyone. Got an insane, insane, insane amount of good ones. I'll probably do these for the next, I don't know, three, four, five weeks. Going to do six questions today. Question one from Justin West. He says, father to father, what is the nuts for squeezing in a romantic encounter? Late night or early morning?" I get some version of this question a ton. Effectively, the question is always some version of what's the strategy for getting on the hashtag team sex when you're married, have kids, et cetera. Of course, of course, the R&D team here at Gender Labs has studied this question extensively. Much of the Series A money that we raised was dedicated to solving this problem. And as painful as it is for me to accept defeat after so much money and so many man hours from incredibly smart scientists, we're put into this, we are no closer to a solution for this problem. It's sad, really. As for Justin's specific question on timing, should be pretty easy to figure out, right? You need to adjust your strategy for your opponents. Um, you know, you can't be putting the same lineup in a field of 100 good players in the same tournament of 100K mouth breathers, you know, who build their lineups on their phone while taking a dump. In this case, our opponents, Justin, are the kids. In this contest, you should be able you should be able to accurately project both ownership and field lineups. You should know exactly what time the kids are likeliest to wake up in the morning. What's the range of time they wake up? How likely are they on a percentage scale to wake up between the hours of say 9 p.m. and 11 p.m.? Honestly, like this is a, a much easier puzzle than DFS. And, and we only need, you know, one to four minutes anyway. This really isn't. Uh, a hard one, Justin. So, so good luck out there. Question two from the Disney click says, could you talk about the importance of mental health and therapy in your life? I believe you have spoken about it before, 
And I think it's an important topic to share with your listeners if you are willing. Yeah, I know some people get embarrassed about therapy or getting coaching or anything like that in life. And I, I don't, I don't know. I just couldn't disagree with that more. To me, it's a absolute no brainer. I mean, stone cold lock that I will trade a little bit of money and or time to get better at something I spend a lot of time on or is important to me, you know, and that includes life. Like the most important thing is trying to be better at life and be better for the people around you. So I, I would never, ever be too proud to get any kind of coaching, like never be too proud to get coaching and say poker or in DFS, even if I got nothing from it, it's still so wildly worth the swing at it. I mean, let's say I get 10 hours of coaching in poker, nine hours and 50 minutes of it is a total waste, but there's some 10 minute thing that changes for the better. How I think about a spot. I mean, that's worth a ton of money, a ton of time. So as for mental health slash therapy, I can't say that I've done it a lot. Certain periods in my life, you know, like everyone, I was struggling more than other times in my life and I felt like I could benefit from it and I did it. Um, and honestly, I probably should be doing it even when I'm not struggling, even when I feel like I'm not benefiting from it for the reasons I just said, you know, there's no downside really. It's only upside. It doesn't take much to have an impact. I'd also say that being in a good place mentally, you know, obviously that's better for all parts of your life, but it's really hard to be good at something as competitive as high stakes DFS if your mind isn't in the right place. Like a ton of the best DFS and poker guys have mental coaches. Um, ton of pro athletes have mental coaches. I don't think that's necessary unless you're playing for like a living at nosebleeds. But again, there's just no reason to be too proud to get help, you know, no matter who you are. So, yeah. Question three from Walshness66. He says, ETR NBA player props were incredible last year, but it's only something that works with a limited number of subscribers. If it gets too big, the market can't handle it. What are your thoughts for next year on this? Yeah, so Dink and the guys went 704.55 for plus 187 units, 13.9% ROI last year. That was amazingly identical to the 2021-22 season when they went 751 and 495 for a 14.0% ROI. The issue, of course, as Walshness points out, is liquidity in the props market, you know, there's plenty of people out there who have said, oh, you guys should make this outrageously expensive, have only a few people subscribing. And that's certainly an option. I would say for now, I will just say that we are very meticulous and conscientious of the value of the prop sub. Like we roughly know what our expectation is from EV perspective. We roughly know how many bets that meet our thresholds we can find per slate. We roughly know how much is realistic for people to get down and we try to be real conservative on that. And we use all that to be certain that people will get value from the subscription. And so if we need to change the price to accommodate those kind of parameters, then we will. Um, also, I'd be remiss if I didn't implore, beg everyone, plead everyone to read the props FAQ page before signing up for anything related to props. Props are not, not an easy thing to execute. It is absolute war out there. It's really only for the sickest of grinders, mainly because books know 
we're winning and we're moving the lines extremely fast after release, you know? And people ask me all the time, like, how can I tell Adam? How can I tell who's a scammer and who isn't? I mean, if what you release doesn't, if whoever you're following releases something and it doesn't move the line, there's a pretty good chance that it's not good, you know? Um, not always, but but pretty good chance. Question four from Brian says, is gambling on the team you are a fan of an advantage or disadvantage? The advantage is hours of watching. Disadvantages includes being optimistic, overly optimistic or pessimistic. Yeah, um, Brian, I, I used to think this was a disadvantage, right? Um, people are so biased towards the team they're a fan of in both ways, you know, like some people are overly, you can't say anything bad or be critical about their team. But some people the other way, you know, like Bears fans, I feel like are so beaten down. They're so biased in a negative way towards their team. But these days now, I actually do think that people who are super fans of teams, not full-blown laundry bros who are just idiots, but thoughtful fans who can be rational, see positives and negatives, follow every practice, read every article, listen to every press conference, watch every game, are thoughtful about it. Undoubtedly, I think these people have an advantage when it comes to analyzing that team. If I have a Patriots question, you know, I ask Thorman. He's a Pats super fan. Leone is a fucking Bills meathead. I mean, can you guys believe that? I mean, Leone literally goes to games. I mean, first of all, can you imagine that? But then he jumps off of cars onto tables at tailgates. So yeah, I I go to Leone if I have Bill's question. When I was living in Philly, I wasn't a fan of the Eagles. You know, I grew up in Virginia, not not Philadelphia. But when I was living in Philly, I, I wasn't a fan, but I couldn't help but understand more about the Eagles than other teams because I was just immersed in it everywhere. So yeah, I'm always going to think that if you are a smart, rational person, the niche within a niche within a niche stuff is always best everywhere in life. But definitely in this case, someone tells me their niche is following every word about the Lions and you can tell me what you think the running back usage will be on Sunday. Fuck yes, I'm listening. What I don't want to hear from these people is what the coaches should do. I mean, it would be impossible for me to care less about what NFL coaches should do. We need to know what they will do, right? I mean, that should be a no-brainer. Question five from Griffin. He says, could you discuss your strategy with lineup construction across three max contests? Do you generally play more chalk or approach it with the same mindset as a larger GPP tournament? Yeah, Griffin, I I think it's not about three max as much as it is about contest size. I think it's just important to adjust your GPP teams for how many people you're playing against, regardless of what the max entry is. So for example... The team I played this week in the 888 on FanDuel, there were only 99 people in that field. I played Tua, Waddle, Tyreek, and Raheem Mostert. Probably could have even added Salvan Ahmed in there. He was super, super cheap on FanDuel. I I can do that in a 99-person field because I don't need the nuts or anything close to it. I really only had to get one thing right for this lineup to hit, and that was, can the Dolphins, will the Dolphins be the best performing offense on the slate and will be concentrated to the guys that I play. And yeah, I, I mean, I thought the Dolphins checked every box in there. I had Chuba Hubbard in there as well. Could have played Thielen too in this, you know, because again, if the Dolphins hits in the way that I need to win the tournament, well, I get a ton of Bryce Young dropbacks as well. I would not have played this team in something with say a thousand entries or more because, you know, maybe it would have worked and maybe it can work. I'd have to look at the Sims to see if it's profitable, but I, I would not 
have played the two a triple in a field size that big. Um, I don't think. One other thing I'd say about three max, just be aware that the best plays are going to be more owned there, more hand builders in three max. Play the best plays has been hitting at a really high rate the last couple of years. You know, and Sims are showing team play the best plays as right as I fucking knew all along, but never executed it. Um, so like I, I saw Raheem Mostert as much as 70, 75% in some single entry high, uh, three max high stake stuff. I think that's a fade or at least would need a really contrarian low product ownership around it. Whereas in a 99 person field, maybe you can make some other assumptions. Question six from Eric says, I've been doing weekly DFS head-to-heads versus my son, age 12. He's beating me four to one through five weeks. For how long can I play the small sample size card? Related question, what's worse parenting? Beating him and crushing his dreams or losing and making excuses? My God, that's humiliating. That's just humiliating, Eric. You know, you got to get it together, bro. Uh, First, I'd say on the parenting stuff. I never let my kids beat me ever. I mean, I guess it's probably just because I have a real competition problem. All I ever want to do is compete and hopefully win. It's really a sickness though. All I ever want to do is compete. But more importantly, I just think it won't mean anything to the kids when they can actually beat me, which is honestly not that far off. But if I let them win now, what is it going to mean when they can actually beat me? So yeah, I play heads up, sit and go poker against my eight-year-old. He loves it. He somehow has no fold button. It's actually a good strategy for heads up, heads up, no limit, which is wild, but probably bad for him to be learning long-term. But anyway, you know, I just wait until I have something like middle pair, put all the chips in, and he calls with any two cards. And at some point, he'll learn. And that's way better for him than just letting him win. So yeah, Eric, I would say go all out to beat him in your DFS head-to-head games. If you don't beat your 12-year-old, then I think it's time to retire. GG. All right. Thanks to everyone for tuning into this week's solo pod. Appreciate you all. We'll be back with two more podcasts today, waivers with Sam and then team by team with Silva tomorrow. Rest of season top 150 show. Be sure you are subscribed on the YouTube. Ton of content on there that does not hit this pod feed and maybe more coming soon. For producer Luke, for the most beautiful beast in the world, Jerry. I am Adam. Good luck, everybody. Mm-hmm.